So we're continuing our series on the five senses. Last week we introduced this series and we talked about listening. And we talked about listening to God versus listening to people that are not God. And if you missed that, you can uh, check it out on the website. It's there for your viewing pleasure. Uh, today we're going to be continuing that and we're going to be talking about the sense of smell, all right? Uh, the sense of smell. Is anyone in here, you don't have to say it out loud, but just you have a favorite food smell? Like right, for me right now, you, when you go outside because it's summer uh, and you smell someone grilling out, you know, you know and you, you just stop in your tracks, whether you're with a group of people or by yourself. If you're with people walking out of the house, whether it's your family or friends and someone's grilling out, someone in your group is going to say this, someone's grilling out. You know, you, it has to be identified, the smell. And you know what? When I'm by myself leaving the house and I smell it, you know what I say? Someone's grilling out. <sighs> to myself. I, say, I tell myself that someone is grilling out. It has to be professed. And you, the reason being is when, when, you, when, when I at least smell a grill, you know, I, I think of more than just the smell because the smell is good, but what the smell brings is everything with it. The smell, you know, because when, when I think about grilling out, it's relaxing, it's fun, it's with family and it's with friends, and it's accompanied by a delicious meal, so long as I don't screw it up. Um, but, but it's funny that a smell can trigger all of those feelings, right? Like when Jessie, my wife, she's an amazing uh, baker. She bakes stuff, well, sometimes. It used to be all the time. And now it's sometimes because we eat healthy in our house and all that fun stuff that uh, comes along with it. She tricked me early on in our marriage, you know, and all these sweet smelling, amazing, delicious things with real sugar and, and uh, full of gluten. And now it's got none of those things, but it's, all of it still tastes amazing. And when, when she's baking something and I walk in the house, it, it hits me really fast and I breathe it in. Oh yeah, that's good stuff. You know, and it just, it, it brings comfort to my soul. And it's funny that smells can do that. The sense of smell is very, very powerful. Even to this day, if you grew up at the beach, you know, there, there, you might be driving around and you smell something that brings you back to your childhood. If I drive down Penman Road every once in a while, I'll smell grass cut a certain way and it, immediately I'm playing soccer at San Pablo Fields when I'm eight years old. You know, it just has that power about it. Bacon, bacon's another one. Don't wanna leave out bacon. If you smell bacon cooking in, in your neighborhood, you will start, you'll act like a dog in a car and just stick your head out the window, <laughs> getting it in as much, I must find out where this bacon is coming from. It's amazing what smells do to us. It changes our mood. It changes our thinking. Likewise, bad odors can do the same thing. I don't wanna see a show of hands. And have you ever been in a conversation with someone that doesn't have the best breath in the world? They might be saying the most profound thing ever. That's why I love the distance that I have with y'all. It's amazing. It takes all of that, all, all of those things, thoughts out of my head. But you get some of the most profound, nice, complimentary things to you ever, and all you're thinking is, dear God, please let them stop talking and get me out of this. Father, if you, if you release me from this conversation, I'll give to the poor. I'll adopt the stray cat. I'll do whatever. I just can't take the smell anymore. We become desperate when the things that smell bad make us uncomfortable. We want to, we want to rid ourselves of, what, of whatever that is. You can go on a date with someone. They can be attractive. They can be successful. They can be nice and courteous, have straight white teeth. Your friends ask, how was it? You say all this, how, were they attractive? Were they nice? Good job? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Second date? Nope. Why not? B.O. <laughs> like it's done. It's over. Because a bad smell will deter you from things. But good smells 
bring comfort and they bring rest. And that's why we have, you know, people light incense in their house and it's smelling salts because it de-stresses us. So I wanna talk this morning about what the Bible says about smell. And I wanna talk about the good smells this morning. I wanna talk about pleasing aromas, but not a pleasing aroma to us, but what is a pleasing aroma to God? The pleasing aroma to God, this is what it says in the Bible. It's not hamburgers on the grill, it's not freshly baked apple pies or bacon or anything like that. Revelations 5, 8 says, and when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. Okay, not a Tupperware of incense, okay? Not a drawer full, but a golden bowl of incense that are our prayers to God. So think about this, all those feelings that you feel when you smell something good, the comfort, the nostalgia, the peace, when stress is lifted, all those things that we breathe in, when God breathes in our prayers, he feels those things. We, we think a lot about God hearing our prayers, because he does, the Bible says that he hears our prayers, but we never really think about him breathing in our prayers. And remember, when something smells good, we don't just sniff at it, we breathe it in. When food is served and it's a good meal, before you take that bite, what do you do? Oh, that's good. So when we pray to God, they land in a golden bowl and he breathes them in. So what does that say about prayer? What does that say about our prayers to him? That he is breathing them in. Why is he breathing them in like that? He, because he, he calls us, he calls us to pray. The Bible says pray without ceasing. Why? Because our prayers are a good smell to him. They're pleasing to God. Think about this, when we pray, we are pleasing God. We are not annoying him, we are not disturbing him, we are not pestering him, we are pleasing him. Why? Because he is a great, great great God and he loves us and no matter how much we think we are complaining to him, he loves that fellowship and that communion with us. It is a sweet smell that he breathes in. And so this morning, let's practice what we're talking about and let's stand up and let's pray this morning as we continue on. So why don't you stand to your feet, make sure everyone's awake in here. Father, thank you so much that you are a God who desires to hear from us that it's not a bad odor to you, that our prayers to you are a sweet aroma like incense. Be with us right now, Jesus, as we continue in your word. As we peel back layers, I pray that it would all be truth, every single word of it, God. Thank you, Jesus. Open our ears and open our hearts to what you wanna say to each one of us this morning. Let us be hearers and then let us be doers as well. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. You know, when you... When you smell something good, whether you're thinking about it beforehand or not, you can start to crave it. When I go to, I love going on errands for Jesse. It took her a while to believe me when I would say it, but I, I promise you, I love going to Publix. It's like one of my favorite things to do. Get out of the house, stretch my legs a little bit. And usually she, she'll, she'll start sending me on an errand to get like one thing. Go get, we just, we just need water. 
just get water because she knows that I'm going to walk, start walking around and there's going to be little samples. I'm going to chit chat with a person giving the free sample. What do you got here today? That's delicious. Thank you. Keep walking around. See if there's anything we got. This is BOGO on sale. You want me to pick this up? No, no, just the Just get the water. Just be very specific with me. But when I, sometimes it's even in the parking lot and I'm sure a lot of y'all can relate to this. If you've ever been to Publix, Heaven's Grocery Store, you walk in there and they have just placed a fresh batch of fried chicken. I mean, you walk in those doors and it hits you like a ton of bricks. I'm thinking, getting water, getting water, fried chicken. Here we go. <laughs> and I know I can't, I can't buy it because I'll get in trouble. So what I'll do is I'll just go over the display case at the deli. <sighs> I now crave this fried chicken that I had no idea I even wanted when I left the house. But because I smelled it and it was good, I now crave it. So when God smells our prayers, he craves them all the more. He craves our prayers. And don't let for a second the enemy try and tell you otherwise. Don't let him try and tell you that you've prayed that prayer enough and God is tired of hearing it. Or you don't have time in the day because what we're doing is not only robbing ourselves of involving God in the situation, we're not allowing him to breathe in the aroma of our prayers that he so desperately craves. I wanna talk this morning about, in my opinion, this is just my opinion, the most amazing scene in the Bible regarding prayer. And there's a lot of them. There's a ton of amazing stories in the Bible about prayer. But I wanna focus on my favorite. And that is Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane. And so the thing, the thing about what is so interesting about Jesus in the garden is his whole life, Jesus' entire life has been this big crescendo up until this moment of him on the cross. Everything from his birth to his baptism to his time in the desert, every miracle, healing the lame, healing the blind, raising Lazarus from the dead, every debate with the Pharisees, his sermon on the mount, all of it. All of it is this one huge crescendo that just keeps getting louder and louder and louder until it breaks through the glass ceiling of his death on the cross. All of it is leading up to that. And what we find before that moment of his arrest, at the, at the apex of this crescendo of his life, is him in a garden praying. So right before the loudest moment, everything that has been leading up to his death, but right before that, is prayer. And that in, in, that in and of itself is enough to just really be done with our morning. Just say, okay, <laughs> there you go, pray more. But we can't do that. We need, to, we need to really understand the importance of prayer and what God thinks of it. So let's look in Matthew chapter 26, Jesus in the garden, starting in verse 36. We're gonna read two verses to start. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Right, so what I wanna do this morning is with those two verses, kind of work our way backwards, kind of pick apart a couple different uh, sentences and phrases within those two verses and really talk about them. And then hopefully by the end, it'll all be tied together and make some sense. The first thing I wanna talk about is that last thing that he says, that Jesus says to those three disciples, where it says he began to be sorrowful and troubled. I don't like the idea of Jesus being sorrowful and troubled. I don't, I don't like that. 
If, if you remember, remember when you're a kid, when you're little, little, and you're, one of your parents gets sick, and it's almost confusing. It's like, wait, mom, they're not supposed to get sick. They're our parents. Like, they're invincible. They, they can do everything, you know? Well, I don't, I don't like this idea of them being sick. And even really, if truthfully, as we get older, we, we still don't like that about our parents because they're our parents. It doesn't, it doesn't really jive. And I feel the same way about Jesus. No, Jesus doesn't feel sorrowful. He doesn't, he's not troubled. He's the son of God. He raises people from the dead. He, he, he goes up against the Pharisees and puts them in their place. He's bold. He's the man. He doesn't get sorrowful and troubled. But it says right here in verse 37 that in fact Jesus was sorrowful and troubled. And that word sorrow that we read right there, uh, it, there, there's, no, there's no word in the English language that actually describes the sorrow that he felt. I read one commentary that said that it was, it was the most intense sorrow imaginable. That it was actually a violent emotion that he was feeling in this moment. So this, this moment of sorrow was literally beating him up from the insides. It was that harsh, that intense. So we're, to, to say that he was sad, would, would really rob the moment of what it really was. It was this intense, violent sorrow that Jesus was experiencing. And as I began to consider this emotion, this sorrow, I thought about, you know, if we could take this room, everybody in here, and we could separate every, every person in here into two categories, two groups. There would be those over on this side of the room that have experienced the most intense sorrow imaginable that have experienced something that is so gut-wrenching, a violent emotion that there are no words to explain it, to explain what you're going through. And then there would be this side of the room, those of us that say, I don't know what that is. And so it's one of those feelings that you either know it or you don't. And I wanna say to those people that would be in this side of the room, that know that feeling of intense sorrow, and pain, that violent emotion. Listen to me now. Jesus knows exactly how you feel. He knows exactly how you feel or how you felt. If you're in that place, and I believe there are some of us in this room this morning that are experiencing this violent emotion of, of a sorrow that is so intense that you can't even explain it. And I want to say to you now, clearly and loudly, that Jesus knows exactly how you feel. And that is what is so amazing about our God is that he can relate to every situation. We'll never go to him and he, he will never say, I, I hear you, but I can't really relate. And you know, with, with me, if someone came up to me, I'll pray for you till the cows come home. But there's a lot that I can't relate to. I haven't, I haven't lived the same life as you. I'll pray for you and I'll believe with you and I'll encourage you, but I can't relate to you. Jesus can Jesus can, and we always kind of gravitate to those people in our lives that can relate to us. But no one can relate better to you than Jesus. All the more reason that we should be praying to him all the time, because he is that source that will understand. You won't even have to try and explain, say, God, I know. Yeah, but I'm feeling this way and I can't describe it. I know exactly how you feel. I've been there, I've lived it, and I know. So if that's you this morning, don't give up praying because you're praying to a God who knows exactly how you feel, who can relate to you with a violent, violent sorrow. 
It continues on verse uh, 37. It says, and taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee who are James and John. So Jesus here is, is in the garden and he has the 12, but then he takes these two guy, uh, three guys and he says, y'all come with me. I think what's interesting here is Jesus has this inner circle of the 12 disciples. And I love to kind of just daydream about Jesus and the 12 disciples and what it must have been like for them. Because if, if guys can kind of relate to this, if you've ever, guys, when you're around each other, we just had a men's cookout the other night. We get together and we, we joke, we laugh, you know, we, uh, usually there's some sort of competition that's going on, something competitive and all that stuff. It's just in the male genome. It's just how, who we are, you know? And so I always think about that with Jesus and the disciples, what it must have been like for them when they're, just traveling, you know, when they're having dinner on a Tuesday night, you know, the times in between that aren't in the gospels and all the laughter that happened, all the inside jokes that they had. And I, I really think, you know, just to, just to personify Jesus a little more, I think that's one reason they loved him so much because he was one of the guys. And he, he might've been, not been the one saying the joke, but I bet, he, I bet he had his fair share of laughs, you know, when he was with them. So Jesus has this inner circle of the 12 disciples. But within that inner circle, he has an inner, inner circle. And he has these three disciples, Peter, James, and John, come with him. And I wanna ask you this morning for you to ask yourself, who is my inner, inner circle? Who are the people in my life that I can say, I have a sorrow happening and I need you to come with me? And I wanna say this, first and foremost, if you are married, I hope it starts with your spouse. It needs to start with your spouse. If you're not asking husbands to your wives this powerful question of how can I pray for you today, start. Start asking that today. Wives, if you're not asking your husband, how can I pray for you today, start. When you're leaving the house in the morning to go to work or do whatever you have to do, don't leave without saying, hey, how can I pray for you? And then when you get in the car, before you turn on the radio, pray for them. And answer that question, spouses, husbands and wives. When they ask, answer that question. I'll say, I'm good, I'm good. Give them something to pray for. We all have something to pray for. And then find those other people in your life that you can trust with these prayer requests. And I'm not talking about the people that consider prayer telling everybody else why they need to pray for you. Oh, you need to pray for Susie. She is in a rough spot, let me tell you. We need to pray for her. And now let's spend the next 30 minutes talking about her life and then never actually praying for her. That is not prayer. That is gossip, okay? Don't tell those people. They're not in your inner, inner circle. But find them, and you probably know. You probably know immediately who they are. But we all need an inner, inner circle. You know, the three that went with Jesus, this is, this is a sermon for another day. They didn't, they didn't pray with them. They, they slept, but they were there. So if you're in that inner, inner circle and someone says, hey, I need you to pray for me, one, don't fall asleep. And two, don't feel like you have to fill the room with prayers the entire time. Sometimes they just need you to sit with them. Just be there. And just be there. Verse 36, backing up even more. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. I find it very interesting that one of the most famous stories in the Bible about prayer is at a place that's when translated means olive press. It's where olives went to be crushed to produce oil. So Jesus went to a place 
that was known to take olives they would crush them to produce oil. And in the Bible, oil uh, was a good thing. Oil always signified something good, whether it was someone being anointed with oil, whether it was, you know, unity being compared to oil, that oil that runs down the beard of Aaron. Even with life-sustaining ingredient, you know, I think about Elijah and the widow, where he goes to her house, she has nothing to eat. She's actually literally preparing her last meal before she dies, her and her son. She said, this is it. We're going to eat this last meal and then we're going to die of starvation. We have nothing left. And Elijah says, the flour and the oil will not run dry and it creates bread which sustains life. A lot of us want the oil without the pressing. We want to be oil. We want to produce oil, but we don't want to be crushed. We don't want to get on our hands and knees and cry out to God in that time of pressing. We just want the oil. And so we bypass the prayer time that produces the oil. And what happens? We get more frustrated. We get more bitter. All because we're skipping the part that God desires more than anything else. And that's coming to him. And I'm telling you right now, if you are in that place where you have been feeling pressed beyond belief and you're not praying, get comfortable. You're probably gonna be there a while. But if you get to a place where you fall on your knees and you start praying to God, you know what he's gonna do? He's gonna start producing oil out of you. And it's gonna be a sweet aroma to him that he's gonna start breathing in and he's gonna start pouring into you. And that's when the work happens. That's when the work happens. Think about Mary, uh, Martha's sister. Jesus comes and she anoints him with oil. And it says that it filled the room with a, with a, with a pleasing aroma, with a fragrance. That was good. So when we're kneeling before God, whatever your situation is, know that the room takes on a pleasing aroma to him and invites God in. Matthew 26, 38, as we continue on, says, then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch with me. Here's something very interesting. In verse 37, it says that Jesus began to feel sorrowful in trouble. Okay, watch this with me. In verse 37, it says that he began to feel sorrow and trouble. In verse 38, he tells them, that he is troubled. Let that sink in for a second. Jesus is feeling trouble, he's feeling sorrow, and then he does the most amazing thing in the world. He tells someone. He tells his inner, inner circle. That can be our biggest speed bump in our prayer life, is that we feel this way and we keep it to ourselves the whole time and we put on our Sunday morning face of how you doing, I'm good, oh, you doing good, all right, hug it out, see you next week. And we leave here and that same trouble is sinning in us because we are so afraid to tell even those that we love and that love us what might be going on because we're embarrassed, we think they're gonna judge us and so we keep it all in. But if Jesus, the son of God who lived a perfect life can admit when there's trouble in his heart, certainly we should too. Certainly we should too. But I have to say, listen, I, I gotta say this. I, I'm starting to believe that Beaches Chapel, 
we have the most righteous and holy Christians of any church in the world. I mean, I'm really starting to think that. Because every Sunday, we encourage you to fill out a prayer request form and drop it in the basket going by, drop it in the back box. And of the 200 or so people, give or take, that come in our doors every Sunday, we have, this past Sunday, five people that needed prayer. That is amazing. I mean, Pastor Howard deserves this month-long vacation. He's got a church of 200 and only five people need prayer. Good job, Pastor Howard. That's amazing. Y'all are so righteous and holy. No one in here needs prayer except for five people. Man, we're doing, I gotta pat myself on. I'm on staff here too. I'm doing a pretty good job. Tina, good job. Or what's really happening is we're not taking prayer seriously enough and we're not writing down those things and having the pastors of the church believe and stand with you about what you're dealing with. And so we let the opportunity, and listen, I'm speaking to myself here big time. But we let that opportunity go by and say, no, I'm good. But listen, we have these written down. And believe it or not, we don't put them on a billboard on Beach Boulevard for everyone to read. We meet on Thursdays, the pastors, and we pray. We speak your name, we speak into the situation, and we stand in agreement that God is gonna move. It's not something that we announce on Sundays and then forget about it the rest of the week. The first word in our mantra here at Beaches Chapel is pray, love, and serve. Pray. I believe, I I believe with all my heart that God is ready to do a work here, a mighty, mighty work here with all of us and with you individually, but it starts with prayer. He will wait till we are ready to be pressed to produce oil, but it starts in prayer. We have to stop acting like life is full of just awesome and full of rainbows and unicorns all the time. And maybe go to a couple people and say, I need you to pray for me. But we can't do it ourselves. Y'all gotta take part in this. Verse 39, and going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed saying, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. This cup that Jesus is talking about is not the cup of death. It's not a cup of death that Jesus is talking about. It's the cup of judgment. It's the cup of God's wrath and fury and it's, and it's uh, referenced in the Old Testament. I'm gonna read a couple just to, sh- just to show you that I'm not making this up. Isaiah 51, 17, awake, awake, rise up Jerusalem, you who have drunk from the hand of the Lord the cup of his wrath. Jeremiah 25, 15, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel said to me, take from my hand this cup filled with the wine of my wrath. And so when Jesus is talking about this cup, He's not talking about death. He's talking about God's judgment that he is going to have to drink. The Bible says that for our sake, he made him that knew no sin to be sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus is about to take on all of this sin that is our sin and he's gonna have the the judgment of God come on him. And so as he's praying this, saying, God, if there's any way, take this cup from me. Take this cup from me, but, and here's some powerful words, but not my will, but yours be done. He prays this three times. And so again, to those of you that feel like you're praying to God too much, the same prayer over and over, don't stop. 
don't stop. Jesus prayed over and over. And I wanna take a different vantage point real quick. I wanna look at the same story, but from uh, Luke chapter 22, 42. Same exact scene, just a different uh, perspective. It says, Father, if you are willing to take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. Verse 43 says, and an angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. This is, this is a fascinating back and forth that's happening here. Jesus is praying for this cup to pass him, but not his will, but God's will be done. And God answers that prayer by sending him an angel. Not to take the cup, not to take him on the cross away from him, because that's his will. God's will for Jesus, as hard as it was, was for him to drink the cup for him to die on the cross, for him to be beaten and bruised and his flesh ripped off of his back and the, thorn, the crown of thorns to be stuck in his head with blood coming down, to be naked and mocked and spit on and humiliated and insulted and to suffocate, nailed to a cross. That was God's will for Jesus. So he didn't answer by taking that what he did answer him by is by giving him strength to do what? To pray harder. Because it says, after he sent the angel in verse 39, it says, in being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly. So in the moment, God didn't take the cup from him. He gave him strength to pray more because he knew that it was the prayer that was gonna get him through the will. You see, the victory was won on the cross, but it started in prayer. Victory was on the cross, but the strength came in his time with prayer with God. God might have something in front of you, his will for your life that seems way too much. And in your own strength, it might be, it probably is. And you've been praying, God, just, just save me from that, save me. And he's going, no, this is, your, this is my will for you. This is my will for you but I'm gonna give you strength to pray more because victory is gonna come through that, but it's gonna start here. Your submission and your will to commit to what I have for you starts here. The crushing and the pressing starts here, but you know what? In it, you're gonna produce oil. In this thing that is in front of you that seems way too big and way too much, you're gonna get through it. And it's not just gonna bless you, but it's gonna bless others around you and ultimately it's going to exalt my name in your life. And you're gonna be able to look back and say, I didn't think I could do it, but God got me through because I started every day on my knees praying and he gave me the strength to submit to his will and to get through it. And in it, I produced oil that I never thought I could. And you will be so grateful to have gone through the very thing that you were praying against, the thing that you were praying to try and get out of. What we might need to be praying for is the strength to get through it. And that begins in prayer. Charles Wendall says, while Jesus prayed, a small army surrounded the garden and closed around it like a noose. I thought it's such good imagery. We don't know what the enemy is doing when we pray. Trying to strangle us. But the more that we pray, the more that they have to go back because as we begin to speak the name of Jesus the enemy flees and victory 
starts happening in our hearts and in our minds. And the victory has been won. And so you might feel like the enemy is coming around you and strangling you like a noose. But when you get down on your knees and you start praying, they back up. There's two scenes in the Bible involving a garden. In the New Testament, it's the Garden of Gethsemane. In the Old Testament, it's the Garden of Eden. And both of them have very, very different outcomes in them. In the Garden of Eden, it's paradise, perfection, no sin, no shame. Adam and Eve are walking naked in the garden, talking with God. Everything is amazing. And God gives them this command, this will for them, that they not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. What do they do? By their actions, they proclaim, as they eat of that very tree, they say, not your will, but my will be done. God, you want this, but I want this. And so, not your will, but my will be done. And I'm gonna eat of this fruit in this paradise that I'm in now is now gonna turn into a sin-filled wasteland. Sin enters in, shame enters in, lying, finger pointing, murder, doesn't take long for that to come on the scene. And this paradise now becomes filled with sin, all because the actions were not your will be done, but my will be done. Fast forward to Jesus in the garden with this cup of judgment that he's about to take that he does not want to take. He prays, not my will, but your will be done. And this sinful world now has a door open to paradise that gives us access to God whenever we want because Jesus took the cup. If we, if we read it carefully, when Jesus prays that prayer, he doesn't say, Father, take my cup. He says, take this cup. He doesn't say my cup because it's not his cup. Jesus lived a perfect life. The cup that he's taking is our cup. This cup of judgment that he's drinking from, that's our cup. Those are our sins that fill it. That's our wrath. And so Jesus, as he's praying, he doesn't pray my cup. He says, take this cup. But those powerful words that follow, not my will, but yours be done. And he gets the strength to carry on the will that God has for him on the cross. And it opens up the door so that we can have communion with God, so that we can speak with God. Let's have our band come back up. This is really awesome. This is so cool. Psalms 23, verse five. David writes this. You anoint my head with oil. There it is again. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. David says, not this cup overflows. He says, my cup overflows. And that cup of judgment 
that Jesus drank from that was ours was exchanged for a cup that should overflow with mercy and with grace and with love and with compassion. But here's the sad, tragic thing about that cup. A lot of us are walking around with an empty cup because we're not taking advantage. We're not using what Jesus gave us and that was access to the Father. David, if you read the Psalms, cried out to God. He was a psalmist, but he was, he, in his Psalms were prayers. And so in that, his cup overflowed. And so this morning, a very simple question, is your cup overflowing or you got an empty cup? It's time to fill our cups. It's time to fill our cups this morning to overflow with goodness and mercy. Where do we find that? Funny you should ask. Max Lucado writes, your body is 80% fluid. Stop drinking and see what happens. Coherent thoughts vanish, skin grows clammy, and vital organs wrinkle. Deprive your heart of spiritual water and your dehydrated heart will send desperate messages, hopelessness, loneliness, resentment. Where do you find water for your soul? Jesus said, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Where do we fill our cup? There's one place, there's one source, Jesus. I wanna ask you a question this morning. Is the intensity of your prayers matching the intensity of your situation? Are you going through something that's so hard and, and, and it's, it's, it's draining you? And then how you pray about it is, God, please, please help me with this. Is the intensity of your prayers matching the intensity of your situation? We see Jesus. The intensity of his prayers matched the intensity of his situation. He fell face down in the garden. He sweated drops of blood. His prayers were intense. They were not Sunday morning, Sunday school, just run-of-the-mill prayers. It was real. And so this morning, I'm gonna give us all an opportunity to live out, to put into action what we're speaking about this morning, to return to prayer and offer God a sweet-smelling fragrance. So let's stand to our feet. What we're gonna do this morning is we're gonna have our pastors and our elders come up and they're gonna be on the sides of the stage. They're not gonna be in the front. They're gonna be on that side over there. They're gonna be on that side over there. And as we begin to, uh, to worship again, what I wanna do is open up the altar and allow you to get one-on-one with God first because that's what it's all about. Jesus brought his inner inner circle with him, but then he said, stay here and let me go. Scripture says that Jesus oftentimes went alone to pray with God because he knew he needed to fill up his cup. He needed to go to God so that his cup could be filled with goodness and mercy. Don't be unlike Jesus where there's something in your heart, trouble, and you don't tell him. He told the Father how he was feeling. He told his inner inner circle come. We sang the song and we're going to sing it again. Peace be still. And that was really, I feel like it's a word from the Lord this morning. That some of y'all just need peace in your life. 
on occasion, not every morning, but on occasion, I will start my prayer time with the Lord down on my knees, just bowing to him, not saying a word, just bowing at his feet. And it's in those moments that are the most peaceful moments of my day because I'm submitting to him, I'm surrendering to him. And when we sit at his feet, our problems shrink. So we're sitting at the the feet of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the God of heaven, who loves us, who when we pray to him, it is a sweet aroma that he craves more and more. Some of y'all need peace in your life and I can't unglue you from your seat. I'm not gonna come grab you. It's a decision that you have to make because prayer ultimately is one-on-one. But after that, if you wanna stand in agreement, we will have our pastors and our elders on each side of the stage. You can go to them and they will pray for you. They'll pray for you, absolutely. But listen, take the step. Take the step this morning. We're believing for miracles in this place. We're believing for miracles at Beaches Chapel but we can't do it for you. It's time to fill your cup. My goodness, Jesus didn't take our cup so that we could walk around empty. Let's take what he gave us and apply it to our lives. Let me pray and then come on. Father, thank you, Jesus, for your love for us, Lord. Thank you for your sacrifice, that you were willing to take our cup that was not yours so that we could have a cup that overflows. Thank you, Father, that you never grow tired of hearing our prayers, that in fact, it's the quite opposite, that they are a pleasing aroma to you, that they're valuable to you, Father. So let us be doers of the word, the word that says, never stop praying, never stop praying. God, forgive us if we've been afraid to be pressed, if we've afraid to be crushed, if we've been holding in this sorrow only to ourselves. But God, that ends today. In Jesus' name, that ends today. And we fall at your feet and we find peace, Lord. And we know, God, that you're gonna give us the strength to get us through. And we're gonna say, it's by your will. Your will, God, not our will. Not our will, but yours be done. God, we love you. And we thank you for this time. We thank you for what you're gonna do now. In Jesus' name, give us courage, give us boldness, Father, to run to you, to run to you, Father, our source for everything. God, I just speak healing, God. I I pray for those that are hurting right now. God, I pray for those that are hurting. God, we lift them up to you, Jesus. Meet them, Lord. You know how they feel. You know how they feel. Jesus name. Come on up. If that's you, pastors and elders, come on up. You can just stand to the side. But if that's you this morning, the altar is open. Come meet with the Lord.